0: Carol, well, good morning again. I uh, thank you for working a little harder at singing some of those songs that may not be so familiar to you. I think one of the great uh, things that we have to constantly do is to keep reminding ourselves we're we're, we're a part of something bigger than us. We are a part of something bigger than us, and it's just so easy for worship to get absolutely self-centered. and um, And that isn't worship of god that's worship of self Um, and so it's just that constant work so i know it's more work thank you for putting it in and uh, trust that the lord will use that to remind us of that and along those lines i want to thank you for praying for the churches in huntington beach and the envision Uh, that's what we're calling that collective of churches Uh, we prayed for us last week we met on wednesday and just had a really good meeting together Um, You know, one of my main jobs here at Calvary is to take people that God has given great passions for particular ministry and help them to see that their passion needs to fit into a collective body of Christ with people with different passions. And, And that's no easy task because whatever you're passionate about, you think that's the most important thing and that's what God gave you. But the reality is we need all these passions working together. And so one of my main jobs is to fuel people's passion, but so they don't run over people, they actually contribute to other passions and going on. So for example, tomorrow night we'll have a ministry staff leader meeting, and the whole point is, each of us with our different passions are in and for something bigger than what individually any of us have, and uh, thus we need to work together. Well, the same thing is true for the churches in Huntington Beach. And uh, it's no small thing to get pastors to think beyond their own church. And it's no small thing to get pastors to think beyond competition to, we need each other. And one of the things the Spirit of God is doing in Huntington Beach is He is calling pastors to say, we need each other. We're not competing against each other. I mean, if every church in Huntington Beach was filled to capacity three times on Sunday, just taking the people of Huntington Beach, not even Fountain Valley and the other surrounding cities, there'd still be probably 190,000 people that are not in church. So, those are the people that need Christ. And we need each other, and we need to fuel each other in the reaching and getting the gospel out so every man and woman, boy and girl, has multiple opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Amen? Amen? And so, that's the beauty of it coming together. One of the pastors uh, who comes in, um, drives to church, he doesn't get to walk across the parking lot like I do, and uh, he, he has a route that he drives every Sunday morning before he gets to his church and prays for the different churches in Huntington Beach. That's the spirit we need for the sake of the people that do not know Christ in Huntington Beach. And so thank you for praying for that. Thank you for praying for Shore Life this morning. It is really important uh, because the world needs Christ and we need each other to multiply what he is doing. So thank you for just all the work and effort you put in to, to live life bigger than yourself and to be a part of what God is doing beyond yourself, or we as a local church. Well, this year is the year of the Bible, and that's our uh, theme. And so it's a play on the word 2020, um, which obviously is the year that we're now in. Can you believe it? Yeah. If I didn't get to see you last week, welcome to 2020 and uh, what God has in store for us. But it's also a multiplying of 2020 being a description of accurate eyesight, What is at 20 feet, you see as being at 20 feet, and so that's the term that has come up and it's being used, and we're using it, of an accurate understanding of who God is, an understanding of who we are and who people around us are, because living accurately with that understanding helps us to live the way God has designed this world and for us to personally live. And so at the bottom of your bulletin is Proverbs 29, 18. Now, uh, what's on your bulletin is the New American Standard version. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. I put three other translations up there and look what you notice. ESV, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The NIV, where there is no revelation, that people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. New living, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild, but whoever obeys the law is joyful." Now, when you read different translations of the same verse, and they translate it differently, what do you know? You know that the people who understand the original languages and the culture had a difficult time picking up on exactly what the nuances were intended by the Spirit of God as He gave it to the people of that generation and has preserved it for us down through the years." Now, the challenge with Proverbs is you don't often have an immediate context to try to help you figure it out, and that's true with Proverbs 29 18. The beauty of what you have in Proverbs and in Psalms and other poetry is you have uh, the parallelism of poetry of the first line and the second line, which really helps you to understand what's going on. Because as you can see, there's a lot of different ways to say where there is no vision, or ESV prophetic vision, or NIV revelation, or New Living Translation accepting of divine guidance. But what we see it in contrast with is the law, the law. The law is a revelation of who God is and who we are and how to live rightly with God and how to live rightly with the people around us. That's what the law is. And so obviously what the first verse has to do, vision or prophetic vision or revelation, is in contrast to the law. In other words, where there is no revelation from God, where there is no vision of who God is, Of who you are, of how the world is supposed to work, people live unrestrained. People have to figure it out on their own. They just don't know how to live. And consequently, they live unrestrained lives. But where the law is, where there is a revelation, and description of who God is and who we are and how you live in relationship to God and how you live in relationship to others and you organize your life under that vision, under that revelation, then you are what? Blessed, it says. You're blessed. Why? Because you're living life as God designed it to be. And so you are blessed. Now, the New Living Translation took it a step further and said where people do not accept divine guidance. But there's another reason that people don't have a revelation of who God is, they don't have a vision, and that is they've never heard. The new living implies that you know, but you're not living by it. And certainly that's true for some people. But for a lot of people, they have never heard the revelation of God. Nobody has ever told them who God is. Nobody has ever described to them who they are and how, then, life is supposed to work in their relationship with God and their relationship with other people. As I think it was the prophet Amos says, there's a famine of the word in the land. And I'm convinced that that's the growing issue in America. It's certainly the issue in many parts of the world. But I'm just more and more coming in contact with, and especially you younger people, are coming in contact with more and more people who have never seen a Bible. They have never heard what the Bible says. And as it's gone from our culture by and large today, they don't even know it secondhand by our culture. And so we live in a day and age where people are living unrestrained because they have to figure out how do I do life when there's no revelation of who God is to them. And so we are blessed, are we not? We are so blessed to understand and to have this revelation, this vision of who God is, a description, who we are and how we live in a right relationship with God and how we live in a right relationship with people. Uh, I mean, we are, we are a small minority in Huntington Beach in Fountain Valley and Westminster and the United States in our world today. Now, the beauty is we've got something others don't have, and we get to take it to them. And we help them, we get to bring the vision that God has to them. And so, uh, this morning, I want to look at uh, Jesus doing this personally uh, from a very probably familiar passage, but turn over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Because one of the things you realize as you go through the Scriptures, and as you look at church history, and even the songs of different stages in church history, is you realize that God is so gracious in his never-ceasing work to develop people to see accurately. He just never gives up on this. Whether it's people who have already come into a relationship because of some understanding of who he is, he never quits on helping us see him more clearly, see ourselves more purposely and clearly, and to live it, and he never quits at getting the vision of who he is to people who have never heard. He never quits, that is the story of history. And so here in John chapter four, most of this chapter anyway, We have one of the many accounts of how Jesus brought vision to people. How he brought a revelation to them of who he was, who God is, and what God has for them, or who they are, and how they are to live. He brings a vision to them for their lives. Now, in this particular case... This particular woman and the people in the town had some idea who God is, but there was filled with some inaccuracies. It was filled with some things that were just not right and true, and and they were living their lives based upon that vision, that revelation that they had, but it was inaccurate. I don't know. It could have been 2,200 if you're going to use eyesight or 22,000, they were just off. And, and if, you're good, if you have an off vision, if you have an off revelation and you order your life to that, you're going to be off in your living. And so here we have this encounter with a woman that is living an unrestrained life because of a lack of true vision of who God is and who she is. And she's just trying to find a sense of value. She's trying to find a sense of purpose. She's trying to find significance. And she's looking in wrong places. And God so loves her, and he's seeking those who will worship him, that Jesus comes... And he gives her an accurate vision. He corrects her vision. And so, let me just read through it, and then we want to look at some of the dynamics of what is going on here. And so, John chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Let me just ask for the Lord's blessing even before I read this, because this is probably the best part and most important part of anything I'll say this morning. So let me pray. Spirit of God, would you use these words that you gave to the Apostle John to accomplish the purpose for which you intended in each of our lives, Lord? And uh, I want to thank you, Spirit of God, that this word is living and it's active, and uh, you intended to correct our vision of who you are, our vision of who we are, and even correct some of how we're living our lives. And Lord, for some here, that's a, that would be a huge, major adjustment and change. For others, it may just be a little tweaking. Um, I don't know, but you do. And so even as your word is read, would you use it in ways that you alone can? And it's in the name of Christ that we ask this. Amen. Amen. John chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So, Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink,' for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, "'How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman?' "'For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans.' "'Jesus answered and said to her, "'If you knew the gift of God "'and who it is that says to you, "'Give me a drink,' you would have asked him, "'and he would have given you living water.' "'She said to him, "'Sir, you have nothing to draw with, "'and the well is deep. "'Where then do you get that living water? "'You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, "'who gave us the well and drank of it himself "'and his sons and his cattle?' Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such worshipers the Father seeks to be his worshipers. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I am at this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to them, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat. That you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? (laughs) Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I have sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Well, blessed be the word of the living Lord. Well, there's a lot going on in this passage, and uh, I just want us to see several things about how Jesus uh, comes to this woman who has an incorrect vision of of who God is. Uh, She's got some understanding, but uh, He comes, and He is in the process of developing her to become a devoted follower of who He is. The first thing that I want you to see is that back in verse number four, there is this divine imperative, verse four, and he had to pass through Samaria. That's a fascinating little description. Now, if you were in Galilee and you were going to go north, uh, or if you were in uh, Judea and you're going to go north to Galilee, there was three ways to get there. You could go around to the east and come up on the other side of the Jordan River. You could go around to the Mediterranean and come up that way, or you could take the direct route, which would go through Samaria. Now, most pious Jews would avoid Samaria, as we're told here in the text, because Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Why would that be? Well, it's a long history. It goes back to about 900 B.C. After Solomon died, uh, the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms, and uh, Jeroboam in the north, the kingdom up there, didn't want people to go to Jerusalem to worship anymore. He wanted them to have their own allegiances, so he set up idol worship. And, and the main place of idol worship was here in Samaria, That was one of the main high places. Now, Samaria had a rich history, as we're told here. That's where Jacob lived. That's where his well was. Actually, when they came into Israel, this is where the blessings and the curses were said from one hill to another hill. And here, Sychar landed right in the middle of that, uh, more on the blessing side. And so, there's a rich history, but they went off into Spiritual idolatry, spiritual adultery. Well, about 700 B.C., God was going to disciple them and discipline them, bring them judgment uh, for their idolatry. And so he brought the nation of Assyria from modern-day Iraq and Iran, and he brought the Assyrians down, and they invaded Samaria and took those ten northern tribes, if you will, captive. And you might remember God protected Israel. That's the whole thing with Isaiah and the whole vision that takes place there. But Assyria's methodology of subjugating people and humiliating people and breaking up their allegiances... One of the things that they did amongst many inhumane things was they would take the people of that country and they would distribute them to other places and they would bring people from other places and they would put them into that place so that there was no homogeneous ethnicity or identity left there for that particular people group. And so he broke up, uh, Sennacherib and the rulers of Assyria broke up this homogeneous unity that was surrounded around ethnicities. And so that meant that the Jews that were left there intermarried with people from other places and other ethnicities, and so now they are a mixed cultural race. Now, I know it's hard for us to understand that, living here, uh, where we're beyond all of that in so many good ways, but this was a big, big deal. And so the Jews would look upon them as not really Jewish, plus you have idolatry in your background, and thus they would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. And and yet in verse 4, it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. It's this divine imperative. He's driven by a need to bring the true vision of god to the people of samaria and so he had to pass through samaria all this really is is taking the great commission that he would give three and a half years later of go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything, all this is is taking that commandment and placing it upon himself and saying, I'm going to live under that commandment. I'm going to live with this imperative of my life that there's people that do not have a correct understanding of God or who they are, and they're not going to ever have that, so I live under the commandment to bring this to people. And so we see this divine imperative that the Lord Jesus lives under, and he brings his disciples along with them. The next thing we see is he crosses all kinds of barriers. All kinds of barriers by going into Samaria. There's the cultural barriers. He's going into Samaria. He is going to purchase food from Samaritans. Why would you do that? If you're going to go through Samaria, just take enough food. Don't ever talk to them, don't ever have anything to do with them. He sends his disciples in to buy food in Samaria. He's talking to a Samaritan, and he's not just talking to a Samaritan, he's talking to a Samaritan woman, and he's asking for help. Will you give me a drink? I mean, here's barrier upon barrier upon barrier upon barrier that Jesus just walks through. Those are cultural barriers. There's also the moral barrier. Five husbands and currently living an immoral life. Why would you break through all of these cultural barriers? Was it to show how inclusive he was? No. There's nothing to be proud about being culturally inclusive unless the point of crossing the barriers is to bring a right vision of who God is and what he has for people's life. And that's what he does. And so, the conversation here, I've just captured it by trying to say he had revelatory or vision kind of conversations. He he reveals who God is. Oh, you need to know, Samaritan woman, God is seeking those to worship him. And by the way, it doesn't make any difference where the geography is. He wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth. So, yeah, you've got You've had five husbands, you're living in immorality. God is seeking you to worship Him. That's the kind of God that we have. And He wants you to worship Him in sincerity and in truth. That's what He wants. And so many other things. You know, this living water... That isn't something external. It begins to spring up in you to eternal life. You talk about a great redemptive description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how it's an inside work. So, so many things here of who God is and what he offers to correct her wrong vision of who God is and what he offered and who she is and what she really needs. She doesn't need another man. She needs... Jesus. She needs the Lord Jesus. Now, I think I've preached on this passage before and talked about how Jesus made smooth transitions, and I regret ever saying that. I think, actually, I was trying to take something from our evangelism methods class and impose it upon the text. There are no smooth transitions here. Now, he found a jumping-off point, water, but I mean, really, is this smooth? How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Oh, let's see, where are we here? Um, ten, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Is that a smooth transition? I mean, Really? Why would we ever think that our communication of a vision of who God is and who people are is going to be smooth? They're kingdoms in conflict. They are entirely different ways of seeing. There's, there's no smooth transition here. He changes the whole thing from the way she thinks, and she still doesn't get it. Okay, I like that water so I don't have to keep drawing water from this well. Well, go call your husband. You talk about unsmooth transitions. But don't you love his graciousness? Well, I don't have a husband. Oh, you spoke truly. How many of us would say, you liar? You've had five husbands and you're living in immorality now. How gracious is that? What you said is true. It's not the whole truth. But let's work with what we got here. Because it's so hard for people who are filled with shame to admit their guilt. And so there's nothing smooth here. So if you're waiting for a smooth transition to help people understand the truth about who God is and who they are, don't wait for a smooth transition. It will never happen hardly. I guess every once in a while it will. Say, well, well, that's because God works in people. But just find a jumping-off point and jump in. Just jump in. Uh, one of the pictures that's been helpful to me is just put the sail up and see if God's working. Jesus described the Spirit of God like the wind. You don't know where he's coming from and you don't know where he's going, but you can see the effects. And so you just raise a conversation like Jesus did here, and if she continues to talk, God's at work. God's at work. God was at work here, wasn't he? And so, there's this response on her part. She becomes a developing follower of Jesus, and notice she instantly begins to develop others to follow Jesus. She didn't have an evangelism class. She didn't know the first question in the catechism. She didn't know hardly anything. In fact, she's even questioning, is this the Messiah? But she becomes a developing follower of Jesus. She's very much in process, and she's already sharing with others what's going on. Now, there's something else going on in this passage, because not only is Jesus bringing a a correct vision of who he is, a revelation of who he is to this woman and to that community, but he's also doing it with the 11 disciples who are with him because even though they've begun to follow Him, even though they're baptizing people, as we're told in this passage, uh, they still have a screwed-up vision of who Jesus is and what the calling upon their life is. And so, He's discipling those who already knew Him while He's reaching out and discipling people who do not yet know Him. And, And this... This is instructive because all of this goes together here. And so you'll notice that he's developing his disciples. They're already baptizing. He's de- de- developing his disciples. You know, wouldn't you have loved to know how the conversation went? Uh, we're going to go through Samaria. And you, you wonder how many of the disciples said, uh, you know, I was raised that you never go through Samaria. Well, we're going through Samaria. So, you, you know, the journey's longer. They may have said, so where's the food so we don't have to depend upon them for anything? Uh, no, we'll buy from them. Buy from them? I can imagine the 11 as they're headed to wherever you buy food, grumbling at each other. We gotta buy food from Samaritans? I wonder if this is even kosher. <laughs> I mean, I, if there were anything like me, I can just hear the grumbling going on Because Jesus is discipling them to cross barriers. To cross barriers for a reason. A reason because that's the kind of God that they're following. If you're going to follow Jesus, that's what you do. And then they come back and they're watching him. Notice Jesus never stops his ministry to the woman. They just start watching. And and what? They're conflicted in their own hearts because he's talking to a Samaritan. And he's talking to a woman Samaritan. I mean, they make the point about that. What's he doing? He's correcting their vision of who God is and what barriers he crosses to, all to correct the view of these disciples who did not see God nor other people as clearly as they could. And then he uses two very graphic metaphors right out of what's going on right then. One is of eating because they brought them food to eat, and the other is of fields because no doubt there's fields around them that are four months from the time to be harvested. And he uses these physical metaphors to describe spiritual realities that they need to be cultivating and developing in their own heart and life. And so he says to them, I have food that you know not of. He's trying to develop this appetite and eating habit where developing other people and helping them see the truth about who God is and who they are and their need for Him and what it means to follow Him or to become a worshiper of His needs to be an appetite greater than the physical appetites. Now, did Jesus have appetites? Yeah, He was at the well and He needed a drink, didn't He? But as he was at the well and needed a drink, what was the greater appetite? The woman who was there. And so often the physical appetites are a way to develop these spiritual appetites and to do the will of the Father. Did he need to eat? Yes. But there is something greater in his heart and mind is and that is the spiritual well-being of this woman and the others who were responding to him and that could take a very back seat and so he's saying disciples you need to develop a spiritual appetite for developing other people to know me and to follow me to bring a right picture and vision of who i am and what my purpose for their life is that needs to be a greater appetite And doing the will of my Father needs to be of more importance to you than feeding your belly. And secondly, you look around and say, there's a harvest time. It's four months away. Look at those fields. And he's saying, look at the people. Look at the people. The harvest is ripe. Other people have been cultivating this harvest, probably a reference to John the Baptist and his ministry. And to his disciples' ministry in that land. And he says, we just walked into this place and it's ripe. It's ripe. How do we know it's ripe? Because we bring the truth about who I am, Jesus would say. And there's a responsiveness to that. And so let's labor in these harvest fields. And do what God has called us to do. And so, why? Why do you want these spiritual appetites? Why do you want to see the harvest? Because then others become developing followers of Jesus, and they develop others to follow Jesus. I mean, it's crazy how this is all right here in this one passage, isn't it? He's developing her. She goes in and gathers all these other people together. They come out, and he ends up spending two days with them. And I believe we have here what he has passed on when he went back to heaven to the believers of all centuries. And quite frankly, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a result of this. Now, it could be that your mom and dad did it. Could be the church did it. It could be that a fellow believer did it because you were an adult like I was. But you're a result of somebody getting developed by God and by the people who have gone before them to have a spiritual appetite and to see the harvest and to labor in it and to bring a vision of who God is and a vision of who you were as an individual and your need for God, and you became a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. And that's how it needs to happen for the people around us. That's how it needs to happen for the people around us. And so here, as our mission statement at Calvary, we have this as our mission statement. We go and develop devoted followers of Jesus. And we reiterate this at least twice a year on Sunday morning because it's easy to lose focus. It's easy to think this life is about getting to the well and getting the water. That has to happen. But at the well are people who do not have a right vision or revelation of who Jesus is. And we have to have a greater appetite for them and their eternal salvation than we do just getting the water for ourselves. And being at the well, getting water, could refer to any temporal task that we're involved in our vocations our eating our fixing our car going to school i mean anything and we need to do those things and we need to be faithful to those things but we need to recognize there's women at those wells there's men at those wells there's a 19 year old at that well who don't have any true revelation of who god is and who they are And so they're living unrestrained lives just trying to figure it out. And we are blessed to have an idea based upon God's Word of who God is and who we are. And we are to come and to develop and devote them into followers of Jesus. And so when we go and develop followers of Jesus, all we're doing is saying, I'm going to live under the divine imperative. I must go. I must go, and I'm going to cross whatever barriers are necessary. There's no barrier that's going to stop me. And I will have revelatory conversations. I'm not waiting for any smooth transitions. I'm going to look for a jump-off point, and I'm going to talk about the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of the people's need for Him, and where the Spirit of God is working he'll work. And where he's working, I can't screw it up. And where he's not working, I can't make anything happen. But that's what I'm going to do. Now, we've described what it means to be a developing follower of Jesus in four ways. And uh, the next four weeks, we're going to go ahead and go through those. Um, Let me just quickly walk through them right here. Maybe. Okay, here they are. So here they are, next week, knowing God and living our lives according to the Bible. This all has to do with our relationship with God, how we come into a relationship with God through the life of Christ, His crucifixion, and that arrow up uh, signifies His resurrection. And how once we come into a relationship with God, we are at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot do anything to earn any of his grace. We can't earn any more of his favor. We are as right with God as we could ever be because of what Christ has done, period. And so we don't go and develop other people to follow Jesus because God will say, Ooh, brownie points for you. We don't do that. Now there's effort involved, but it's never effort to earn. It's always just effort and faithfulness to God. And so, uh, Pastor Ed's gonna lead us through this next week because uh, as Jerry said, Jerry and Robin Camille, Camilla and I are gonna go down to Nogales next week uh, to do some leadership training with Pastor Victor and the church down there, so we're gonna be gone, But uh, Ed'll do that. In two weeks, we're gonna talk about how we engage as family in God's church to become more like Jesus because God puts us into this community And it's the great transformational community. And then how we organize our lives to tell others about Jesus. That's the external part that uh, I've emphasized here. This is the part, by the way, that Jesus was doing with his disciples. Right there. And then there's this part of reaching those and bringing it to other people. And there's this huge response that in all things, man, we praise God and we depend upon Him in prayer. And so we're gonna walk through those four things. But uh, would you just bow your heads, please, and let me just give you a moment to respond to anything the Spirit of God has said through this illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ, any particular development that He's trying to do in your own heart and life concerning your appetites and concerning your labor Father, I want to thank you that you are seeking those who will worship you. That is such a revealer of your heart. And Lord, I want to thank you that you have called other people to help correct our vision of who you are by taking us to your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way that you lead and guide into all truth. thank you that you're on a quest that we would see you more accurately and that we would see ourselves more accurately and even our purpose for living more accurately and that we would live that out and thank you lord that you have given us a role in the lives of the people that are right around us the people that will be in contact with this afternoon and evening and and all week long So many of them are living unrestrained lives because they they have no revelation about who you are. And thank you, Lord, for opportunities that we're going to take to bring light into their ignorance and to to correct some things and to bring your revelation so that, Lord, they can experience what the Samaritan woman experienced, what I've experienced, what so many of us have experienced as they become followers of yours. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for this holistic vision of what it means to be blessed by you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.